Then the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they said. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and they went away. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. It is tax season, is it not? Do we have any CPAs in the house? You know what? We're all filing right now. We're all trying to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to maybe get our extensions. And so why not talk about taxes here in the third week of Lent? This morning, more than I want to talk about taxes, though, I want to talk about the idea of risking challenge. If you've been with us or if you've been following along, we are in the third week of Lent, and together we've been journeying through Lent by way of a book called Entering the Passion of Jesus by Amy Jill Levine. All of our, most of our Sunday schools and our small groups are using this book as they read about the text and the stories of the passion of Christ the week before his crucifixion. Kathy and I have been teaching classes on Thursdays and Sunday nights. And so if you haven't joined anything yet, but want to hear more about what's going on, you can come hang out with us tonight. We'll be in McDavid Library at five o'clock talking about this story that we're preaching about this morning. And when I talk about challenging and how we're talking about Jesus risks challenge, Jesus is a very challenging person, but not in the way you might think. Like, my parents would say that I was a challenging kid, right? Any parents right here who are here this morning who have a kid that might be really energetic or a little defiant, you, you understand what it might mean for somebody to be challenging. But that's not exactly what we're talking about when we say that Jesus is risking challenge. We mean that Jesus is not afraid of pushing the bounds on what is the status quo. Jesus challenges by helping people think about things outside the norm. And so this morning, I would like for us to ask three questions. The first off, the first one is this, in our text and in throughout the Bible, how does Jesus challenge? What are the things Jesus does to challenge us? The second is, how is this challenge and how is Jesus' behavior risky? What is he risking by offering challenge? And the third thing I want us to consider this morning is what does it mean for us to risk being challenging as Christ is challenging? Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, I grew up going on youth retreats to a place in Panama City Beach called Noah's Ark. And it's actually shaped like a big boat. I love this place so much. We went every summer that I ended up working there for three summers in college. If you've ever been to Panama City Beach and driven along Front Beach Road and you saw a big boat there, you probably wondered, what is that? Well, that's Noah's Ark. 
Behind it is a campground. There's four different facilities and it's no longer in operation the way it once was. Now it's a coffee shop and it's doing other type of ministry. But when I was growing up, it was a youth retreat center and they would play music every night. A show at eight and a show at 10 and we'd play stuff like Jimmy Buffett. We'd play Brown Eyed Girl and then we'd play contemporary Christian songs too and then we'd have some sort of homily or sermon at the end. It was a way to just kind of give people a, a safe place to just in, for entertainment and to hear the gospel every night throughout the summer. And I, this place just kind of really matched my vibe, right? I had, in college I had long hair, like down to my, I did locks of love, 10 inches. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Brianna's like, yes, it's true, he did. Um, and, and I used to wear tie-dye like every day and a bandana. And so like the whole beach scene, the whole reason I love living at I-10 or below is because I just identify with the coast. And I think part of it is the beach, but also I think Noah's Ark had a kind of a, a unique vibe because of its executive director. It was a guy named Luke Penninger who was my boss, but then became a mentor and now a friend we still get to connect to one another because he ended up marrying our best friend Kristen's mom because they were at Noah's Ark together when they were younger and in college. But Luke, to me, he, he was a very thoughtful person. He's the best musician I know. He can play anything, and that's what he does for a living now. He just plays music. He was not afraid to engage with deep thinkers of theology and philosophy, and he was an incredibly hard worker. And I like to think some of my talents came from him. But if there's one thing about him that I will never forget, it is how frustrating he is and how he would drive me crazy because I think he took an oath in life to never answer a question with a straight answer. I mean, I would ask this man things like, hey, how am I supposed to play this musical scale? And he would say things like, can't you feel the scale? I'm like, no, that's what I'm asking. How do I play it? Or we would, part of our job was to clean up the facilities after the campers would leave. And we would clean for hours. I became really good at cleaning toilets and floors and such. And after like three hours on one facility, Luke would come in and I'd be like, hey, are we done for the day? He says, do you think you should be done for the day? Like, do you have people like that in your life who just won't give you a straight answer for anything? It's for that reason, more than any other, that I think Luke is a lot like Jesus. And Luke is very compassionate and he's very kind and, you know, he, he's a caring soul, which are all Christ-like. The thing about Luke that reminds me most of Jesus is that he answers questions the exact way that Jesus answers questions. Because have you ever noticed this about Jesus? He's not a big fan of giving straight answers. Which brings me to our first question this morning. How does Jesus challenge well, I think one of the main ways, if not the main way Jesus challenges is by teaching. In our chapter this week that Amy Jill Levine provides for us, we see a series of examples of how Jesus is teaching on the week leading up to his crucifixion. And so when I say that Jesus leads us and challenges us by teaching, I, I should probably say it's, he challenges us by frustrating us. Because Jesus' teaching can be really frustrating, can't it? I mean, He's always talking about things that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. He talked about a camel going through an eye of a needle. He talked about himself as a grapevine. I don't think I've ever described myself like any type of fruit or any type of way in which a plant might grow. He told other people one time, he goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. What does that even mean? Jesus would tell these stories we call parables, where he would take examples of things throughout life to try to teach something to his disciples, but oftentimes the stories just didn't make a whole lot of sense. 
Like somebody would sell everything they have just to go buy a pearl. Like your house, your possessions, your food, everything, just to go buy one piece of jewelry. That's one of his parables. Have you ever noticed though that Jesus's teachings are not only sometimes frustrating to us, but they're actually frustrating to the people in the Bible stories, the people to whom he is speaking. When he teaches these things, not everybody actually understands what he's saying. He uses a phrase like, to those who have ears, let them hear. As if to be like, not all of you are gonna get it. He even says that one time, he goes, I teach in such a way that they will not understand. If you come to church looking for the easy answers, Jesus probably isn't your guy because he doesn't give us the easy answers. He makes us think about things because when he teaches us like today's story, he does something unique. Like let's look at today's story. He was asked about taxes. That's what Jesus was asked about. Somebody came to him on behalf of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They sent their disciples to Jesus and they go up to him and they butter him up. They give him all these false praise and accolades they're like, you're so amazing. Everybody, what you say has truth in it. And the irony is what they're saying is actually true, but they don't actually believe it. They're just trying to give this false flattery so that Jesus will pay attention to them and then answer their question. And so they ask him this question. They say, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? This seems like a pretty straightforward question, right? If I were to ask any of you today, should you pay your taxes? You'd probably say yes, because you don't want to go to jail. You don't wanna have fines levied against you. But in the first century and in Israel, this was a more complicated question because the Jewish people who, whose homeland was Israel were occupied by a foreign government, the Romans. The Romans were the ones who put these taxes in place on the Jewish people. And so there are some Jews who thought that they shouldn't pay taxes because it would like legitimize the Roman occupation and we should be fighting against them and we, shouldn't, we should not be letting foreigners tell us exactly how we should be running our kingdom and what God has to say. And then there are others who say, we don't want our people to be persecuted more. These people have a bigger army, we should pay our taxes. And the Pharisees know this and so they put Jesus in the middle of this impossible situation. They asked him, is it lawful to pay taxes? And the idea of it being lawful there has two meanings. Is it lawful according to Jewish law? No, it's not. Is it lawful according to Roman law? Yes, it is. So which one is right, Jesus? So Jesus says to them, it's actually first it says, but Jesus was aware of their evil intent. He knew that they were putting him to the test that they were putting him in a catch 22. And he says to them, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? He says, show me a coin used for taxes. And on that coin, which is the, the Roman coin, there is the image of the emperor on it. And Jesus says to them, holding up this coin, give to the emperor the things that are emperors. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. And often when we read this text, we're like, oh, Jesus is so wise. He figured his way out of this trap. He didn't get caught up in the catch 22. He was able his way, to get his way of not getting caught up in it. But I read this and I think, does anybody else realize that Jesus doesn't actually answer the question? He doesn't tell people if you're supposed to pay the taxes or not. They ask him a very simple question. Should we pay our taxes to Rome? And Jesus just doesn't answer. In fact, he, asks, he makes them ask themselves a question. 
what is the emperor's and what is God's? What belongs to God and what belongs to the Roman Empire? He doesn't answer that for them either, but he makes them ask themselves that question. Does everything belong to God? And so we shouldn't give our taxes. Does some things belong to the emperor? So should we give him back the things with his face on it? But he doesn't tell them what to do. You know, there's another story that Levine uses to, to kind of help us continue seeing how Jesus can be a little frustrating at times. This, this young lawyer, this person who is an expert in Jewish law, and remember, Jewish law is the same as civil law because it's, whenever you read the Torah, the whole 613 laws in the Old Testament are the ones that govern both their religious activity and their civic activity. It would be like if our constitution was the same thing as our Bible. That's what it was like for the Jewish people. And so this lawyer who is an expert comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question that's a relatively common question because people are always trying to discern which of the laws are most important and how should you order what you should do based on the laws. And so he asked Jesus, what's the greatest law? What is the greatest commandment? Out of all 613, what is the most important? And Jesus refuses the parameters of the question. He first quotes the Shema, which is part of the daily prayer life of a faithful Jewish person. And he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. But then he goes on to say, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we've come to realize sound like those are the same thing to us. Love God, love people. But those are actually two different laws from two different parts of the Old Testament that Jesus mashes together. And so they say, give us what is the best one. He says, no, there's not just one best one because they work together. You can't love God without loving your neighbor and you can't truly love your neighbor without loving God. There's not just one. And so they ask him a very simple question and he refuses to answer them with a simple answer. And then there's a final story in our chapter this week that Levine uses to help us think about Jesus's challenge for us. They're sitting there at the temple, Jesus and his disciples. And they're watching people come in and drop their offering in the plate. The collection. It'd be, it's like whenever we used to pass our baskets and you put the, the, during the COVID times, we don't do that. Well, they had a stationary one that was brass. And you come and drop your coins in and the louder the noise is, the more, people, the more money people know you're putting in there. And for the people, an offering and a sacrifice meant that the, whatever you bring that is bigger is better. And so if you sacrifice a dove, that is not as good as sacrificing a lamb. But a bull is better than sacrificing a lamb because it's bigger. If you give $5, the person who gives $10 is giving a better offering, a better sacrifice. The idea was however much you give is based, you know, bases your status, your worth, your value in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the temple and the eyes of the people. Whoever has the most wealth can give the, most, the biggest offering and they are therefore giving the best offering. But Jesus is standing there with his disciples and he sees this woman come with two pennies, essentially. So it's two coins. Essentially, it's the, the lowest form of denomination of money. Essentially, she brings two pennies and she drops them in the offering plate. And Jesus looks at her and says to his disciples that everything that she has put in, what she's put in is greater than what everybody else has put in. What she's offering is greater than treasury because she gives not out of her abundance, but out of her scarcity. That she gives everything she has. 
And that is better than giving more than somebody else. You know what he's doing here? He's redefining what is important and what is value. The people have always said more is better. And Jesus says, more of what? More of yourself. Make more of me. And more of you means less of me. Giving more of yourself is more important than just giving more stuff giving more money, giving more sacrifice. Better value is not what you think it is. He's actually answering a question that nobody's asking. First, Jesus is answering questions with questions. Then he's changing the parameters of the answer. And then he's just answering questions that nobody is asking. And therein lies the risk. That brings us to our second question. How is this risky behavior? It's because Jesus is doing something very dangerous. By challenging the status quo, he's putting himself right in the crosshairs of the power. The people who have power don't want what is normal to be changed because that's what's brought them power. Do you think Jesus was crucified just because too many people liked him? or because what he said was so wise? No, he, he was crucified because he was challenging the status quo. He was changing what is normal. The religious leaders, you know, they had their own setup for how their relationship with Rome worked and they didn't need this Galilean carpenter telling them how to change it. They didn't need this, you know, guy from Galilee to tell them how to interpret the law. They were religious elites. They didn't need anybody to tell them how to change the measure of a sacrifice because they didn't want it to affect their bottom line. They had built up their power based on what was normal and what was expected. And Jesus comes and he just asks questions. He's like, guys, I'm just asking questions here. I'm just, is this what is supposed to be? Is this what, he's challenging everything. And it's incredibly risky behavior. And I mean, think about it. What happens to the people who offer challenge to the status quo? What happens to the people who ask questions? What happens to the people who push against what is normal? I mean, we've seen instances of this throughout Christian history, right? Martin Luther was hunted his entire adult life for challenging the established order of the church. And then his namesake, 400 years later, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated for that very same thing, asking questions, pushing the bounds on what was normal, making people uncomfortable. Both of them were considered a threat because they dared to ask whether the world around them was really living up to the promises that it made whether we were living into the calling God has laid in our life as a church. Are we doing what we're supposed to do? And so they were asking questions. They were pushing the bounds. They were making people uncomfortable and they learned it from Jesus. And so did his disciples. Throughout the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we learned about all these disciples who were martyred, who were killed because they were making people ask questions and think differently and challenging what was normal. That's the risk of being challenging. That's the risk that Jesus was presenting. And for that, more than anything else, his enemies saw him as such a threat 
that they called for him to be crucified. And so our last question this morning is what does it mean for us to risk challenge? What does it mean for you to experience and to offer challenge? What does it mean for us to take up the mantle of Jesus? If our call is to be more like you, more like Jesus, what does it mean for you to challenge what is normal in your own life? Because I think that's where it starts. I think it starts by asking ourselves questions. Not just pointing at the world and see, saying what's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, but looking inward and asking, what have I normalized? What behavior in my life has become routine, but not holy? When you look at your own life, what beliefs or practices are less than ideal when compared to the kingdom of God's standards? What is normal in our own world that's just not necessarily holy? I think we should also ask ourselves, are we living with the answer that we know what is true? Are we living with the answer that there might be truths that we do not yet know? Because when we become certain about everything, we stop looking for Jesus to help us find the answers. So what is normal in your own life? And are you living as a person who is certain of everything? And also, is the way we are living honoring God? Are we living in a way that we can say we are living into what we promised when we started this journey of faith? I think often we think of challenge, we think of how we can go out and challenge the sinners. We're gonna be just like Jesus and go tell everybody, you know, all the things that they should be doing instead. But what Jesus actually did and what Jesus does and is doing for us is invites us to ask questions of our own lives. The challenge Jesus is offering us is to challenge ourselves by looking inward and asking, what is normal that maybe shouldn't be? What is normal but is not holy? looking at ourselves and ask, where have we become so certain that we are not able to rely and ask the questions and depend on God? And to ask ourselves, are we living a life that is honoring the Lord? I love that last one. Is this what was promised? Are we living into not only what we promised, but what God promised us? Because it reminds us the challenge doesn't mean just throwing away everything we've done before. And it doesn't mean ignoring the past. It reminds us that God promised us. And in the past, God has made promises to us, both through the Bible and then to us as individuals. That God wants us to live a life full of goodness and grace. God wants for you to experience love. God doesn't want just for you to feel guilty about things that you've done. Challenge is hard because it does make us ask questions of ourselves, but it leads us to a life filled with joy. When we are living into the challenge of God's life, Jesus' challenge on our life, and we're living into what Christ calls us to, then that life, we expect it to be full of happiness. Even though there might be times of sorrow, we know that the sorrow only lasts for the night, that joy comes in the morning, that through the word and the world of God, the kingdom in our life has the potential to help us experience love in a way that we never have before. 
to experience grace upon grace upon grace, mercy and forgiveness. That's what challenge brings to us. And so after we look at ourselves and ask these questions, when we ask challenges of the world, let me ask you this. Are you trying to challenge the world to be more like you? They are doing things that I wouldn't do, so therefore they're doing things that are wrong. Are you trying to challenge the world to be more like the kingdom? Because I think those are very different questions. I do not believe I am perfect. I know sometimes I might like act like I think of that, but I know that I'm not. And so when I look around the world and I see something that's problematic, I have to ask, do I think it's problematic just because I think it is? Or because it does not live into the promise that God has given us for the kingdom. And so I invite you to think to yourself. If you've been sitting here thinking, yeah, we should challenge the world. We should go out there and tell everybody about the, the gospel by telling them that they need to turn away from their sin. Are you wanting to challenge the world to feel guilty and to realize they're wrong? Or you want to challenge the world so they experience the love and the grace of God? Reminds me of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah wanted to challenge the Ninevites. First off, he didn't want to go, period. But once he decided he was, you know, going to get out of the belly of the whale and go, he wanted them to be condemned. He wanted them to experience God's judgment. He wanted them to not experience grace and love because they were doing wrong and he knew what was right. And God said, it is not for you to decide what they experience or how I should give my forgiveness and my grace. I often feel like Jonah when I think of what it means to challenge, like Jesus challenged. I often think I wanna go tell people how they're wrong. But what God is saying is I want them to experience grace and I want them to experience love. And so this morning as we wrap up our sermon, I, I invite you to think about challenge in your own life. Think about challenge for yourself when you ask those inward questions. When you question what is normal, when you look at the status quo around you and ask, is this holy? And then also whenever you challenge the world, are you doing so from a perspective that brings love and grace or fear and condemnation? Because one of them is more like the kingdom. The other one is more like our own human hearts. And so what does it mean for you to risk challenge, to be more like Christ? What does it mean for you to offer more of yourself to God so that you can experience more of God in your own life? May we be a people who say more of you means less of me. Let's take on that own challenge in our own lives. And in so doing, become more like Christ. Will you pray with me?